0: If you have enjoyed Baker Street 2033, why not consider supporting the second series? Go to Kofi.com slash NeilFitzgerald. That's ko-fi.com slash NeilFitzgerald. Your support would be most welcome. The Glass Cryptographer by Neil Fitzgerald. Episode 2 A World Transfigured. The extraordinary novelties of the world I had been thrust into did not relent with my escape from this room of human assembly. I was thrust into a corridor of a similar pristine alabaster, and of such electrified brightness that a less rational mind might consider itself to be now safely ensconced in heaven. The dearth of humankind lent the environment a distinctly eerie aspect. There were doors on either side of the one I had exited, and I peered through their shaded glass. One was filled with huge machines twice my height and lined up in regular ranks like soldiers on parade, cojoined by wires and emitting blue light intermittently. Substantial tubes ran across the ceiling. The door to this queer assemblage was locked, though this time eschewing the combination lock of the manufactory room. The other door, however, was open and appeared to be a cloakroom. On entering, the electric lights came on overhead. It was uncanny, as though they had recognised a human need for radiance. Inside I found some white laboratory coats, in the pocket of which I made an intriguing discovery. A small tablet comprised of polished black glass on one side. It recalled an obsidian mirror, an occult object used in black magic practices to commune with the dead. The underside was composed for the most part of a dull silver. In its centre was a strange glossy pictogram of an apple out of which a bite had been taken, which I infer to be a reference to Eve and the Garden of Eden. I pocketed the enigmatic apparatus and left the room. Now I was faced with a dilemma, which direction to take along the corridor. I wondered what I should do if I encountered someone. For there was nowhere to hide, and I was hardly inconspicuous. I cut a strangely morose figure all in black against this remorselessly blanched interior. I felt distinctly uneasy as I made my way down the long, bright corridor, the heels of my leather soles rapping out like a door knocker. As I continued, I had the queer sense that the corridor itself was curving round, and that I was going round in a circle, when suddenly I saw a very different sort of light natural light. A window! Here, at last, was a means by which I might orient myself. The window curved round like at a public aquarium, giving a vertiginous view on a skyline being lit up by the rising sun, a skyline which was wholly unrecognisable. I instinctively delved into my pockets for my pipe. Once filled and lit, I meditated on the extraordinary view before me. I was high up above and amongst a sea of glass and steel, gigantic structures competed with each other for the title of Tower of Babel in their monstrous reach for the heavens. What fresh hell was this? I pondered. Was I even still on the same earth? It was a world transfigured beyond all futurist imaginings. I had seen photographs of New York which showed a like verticality in its metropolitan edifices, but not of such quantity or peculiar composition. Then it was that I caught sight of something unmistakable. Even though it was the most fractional glimpse amidst the vast, coruscating columns, the dome encircled by pillars was instantly recognisable as the Dome of St Paul's. My heart cheered at the sight of it. Wreathed in pipe smoke, I stood contemplating as the dawn light further revealed the gargantuan changes that had been wrought to the City of London but my wonder and observations would not be of a very long duration. An unholy racket started up, a banshee reiterating its call with piercing regularity as an endless series of semi-brews in 4-4 time. It seemed to come from some bewildering contraption on the ceiling. As I observed it and tried to ascertain how to make it stop, I sensed someone approaching. Watson, of all the oddities I had beheld up to this point, It was this which made me fear for my sanity. I wondered whether I was not rather deep in some opium-induced nightmare from which I would awake at any moment. For, from around the obscured section of the curving corridor, stepped an automaton, an upright machine of approximate human form, standing at around six foot by my estimation, its face was a ghoulish apparition, illuminated as if by an inner light, whilst its movements were called that of a marionette. The body was constituted of panels of the same pristine white material I had encountered in the building's interior. It had the word G4S emblazoned across its front in the most curiously conjoined typeface, coloured black, white and red. Below this, in bold red script, was the word Honda. I infer that one must be the manufacturer the other its name, though there was no way of discerning which was which. Of course I had heard of the existence of such automata. There was the Mechanical Turk, a creation of the Hungarian inventor Wolfgang von Kempelen, famed for being a formidable chess player, and a risible hoax. In my youth, I twice bested this machine, though the identity of the homunculus operating it from inside remained a mystery despite my efforts at the time. He wafted his hand as if to brush this disagreeable point away. Had I been at the height of my powers, it would have been quite otherwise. Returning to my theme, the polymath Arab Al-Jazari's book of ingenious mechanical devices from the 13th century lists human automata able to play musical instruments and serve tea. The Count of Artois is said to have had a pleasure garden filled with them. So, you see, mankind's history has long been entangled with automata. Flute players, draughtsmen, poets, even soldiers. But none, I imagine, with the precision and brilliance of the one then approaching me. It stopped a foot in front of me and proceeded to speak with a delivery rather sinister in its monotone. Sir, Anima Imprint operates a strict no-smoking policy on its premises. As such, You are in breach of Health and Safety Directive 2.636. I must ask you to cease immediately or risk facing a penalty fine. I puffed out a plume of smoke in the officious automaton's direction. The voice was unquestionably male, but offered no other characteristics aside of its flatness of tone. "'Since you appear to be someone in authority, "'would you kindly stop that dreadful hubbub "'so that I might be able to hear what you are saying?' "'I cried above the din, gesturing to the ceiling with the stem of my pipe. "'To my surprise, the automaton took me at my word, "'and by some means quite imperceptible to my observation, "'succeeded in incapacitating the source of the noise. "'Much better,' I said with unforced brio. "'Extinguishing my pipe, I continued.' Now, perhaps you would be so kind as to tell me whereabouts in the Metropole we are, please. Imprint, 70-76 Long Lane, EC1A9EJ. May I inquire as to what you are doing in the building at 5.43am? I do not perceive any identification about your person. How could you? I have not yet introduced myself. I am not at liberty to disclose that information. I therefore deduce, Watson, that my observational methods were now being utilised by those engaged in safeguarding private property, an intriguing development. I could see that further parleying with the automaton would extract no new information, and so brought the conversation to a close. I would be much obliged if you could direct me to the exit from this building. With pleasure, sir. Now, mark this, Watson, mark this for it tells you much about the nature of this creation. The automaton then escorted me from the building, first accompanying me to the lift. Once inside, I noted the lack of operator and the floor we were on. 61! An unimaginable height for a building to be. When I tell you the floors went up to 76, I wager you will hardly give it credence, Watson. I should not in your place. The lift was near silent and descended with an awesome rapidity and smoothness of motion. In no time we were arrived at the ground floor and making our way through an enormous atrium of large unpeopled white desks, white armchairs and that same refulgent white light all around. We made for the enormous doors which opened for us automatically by some peculiar magic and then we were outside. Ah, oh, Watson, I closed my eyes and breathed in the air of London once again. Immediately noticeable on the nasal receptors and lungs was its peculiar freshness. Gone was the heavy fog of factory smoke. One breathed air like that of an alpine meadow. No wonder they had outlawed smoking. They had somehow rescued the metropolitan atmosphere from human despoliation. A remarkable achievement. Opening my eyes, I beheld these mountainous structures of glass and steel towering up above me. My six feet three inches felt ant-like beside their elevation. To walk in their midst was to be plunged into the abyssal depths of a canyon. All was gloom at ground level. One could not see the sky but caught glimpses of clouds and sunlight reflected in the windows of the upper floors. The automaton hailed a cab which was approaching. An automobile quite unlike the Model T Ford. This was a sleekly organic form in which the occupants were entirely enclosed. The exterior was a garish display of fluorescent yellow and blue in chequered pattern. And on its roof, a piercing light, the colour of lapis lazuli, turned in a rapid gyre like the beacon of a lighthouse. Put me in mind of the blue car, Uncle Watson, which you will no doubt recall describing with an excess of romantic feeling in your inimical trove of fairy tales. I was about to protest at this gibe, but Holmes simply held aloft an imperious hand as if to ward off any such remonstration. The vehicle's windows were dark and thus concealed any occupants, but this mystery was soon cleared, for two further automata immediately exited almost identical to the one which had escorted me from the building. Indeed, both bore its insignia of G4S and Honda. They differed in several crucial aspects. First, their garb, for both appeared to be wearing black uniforms, an optical illusion created by paintwork applied to the panels on their bodies. And secondly, their queerly lit up faces were different from the original, one of whom appeared to be one of the indigenous savages from our African colonies. All that was missing was the woolly head. Here then, Watson, was what passed for London's patrolling constabulary, and I readily engaged them in conversation. At last, constables! I have been abducted and held here against my will for the express purpose of torture. Now, is Lestrade with you, or Gregson? We must apprehend these villains, there's no time to lose. You can well imagine my surprise when my words fell on deaf ears. Sir, you have been caught in violation of three Metropolitan Codes under the London Corporation's 2026 Best Citizenry Practice Act, namely, 2.12, appearing in public without a valid form of identification, 4.16, trespassing on private property, and 10.09 and 10.10, smoking in both a public and private enclosure. You will need to accompany us to Scotland Yard for processing. Am I to consider myself under arrest? If you refuse, sir, we will have no choice but to arrest you. Very well then, I said, and found myself sandwiched between these dullards and the back of the peculiar automobile. Watson, what else could I do? Attempt to remonstrate with automata? Or simply comply? You have seen how cleverly the original automaton had drawn me into this encounter with the London Constabulary. So I went willingly with these two bobbies in the hope that it might bring me to a human being with which to converse sensibly and swiftly resolve this disagreeable muddle. Inside the carriage, it became immediately apparent how weird this world had become, for there was no driver at its wheel. I could only infer that even the vehicle was also automated somehow, a truly terrifying prospect before commencing a journey. Curiously, the operation of the machine was silent, and the vehicle seemed to glide along when it set off again. The tinted glass prevented me from observing much en route, the sight of occasional glimpses of the lamps of other similarly fantastically shaped vehicles, all remaining, I noted, meticulously equidistant from our vehicle and each other. Along with this curiosity, I had much to consider along the way such as how the London Constabulary remained a force to be reckoned with in their intelligence quotient. There was the aforementioned 2026 Act of Best Citizenry Practice. Did the number signify the year in which I had been transported, or was I even further beyond this astounding date? Then there was the awe-inspiring perpendicularity of London, the fantastic machines which populated it, and, thus far, the absence of all human life on the scene. I was keen to see what the police station would bring and to have a chance to examine the occult object in my pocket. Sherlock Holmes will return in The Glass Cryptographer, Episode 3 Inspector Chatterjee If you have enjoyed this podcast, you might like to try others by the same writer and producer, such as Dear Old Blood, Notes on a Wittgenstein Noir, and Modern Gothic. The writer now has a cracking idea for a second series of Baker Street 2033. So, you could also consider supporting the writer at buymeacoffee.com slash Neil Fitzgerald.